بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده تعالى ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد continuing with the series of lectures on the topic of remedying the heavy chest using the works of Al-Imam Ibn Al-Qaim rahimahullah ta'ala and likewise Shaykh Muhammad Iman Al-Jami. So in last week's lesson, we spoke concerning the signs, the evidences, the indications of a person's heart having the nur of Iman in there. Shaykh Muhammad Iman Al-Jami, he mentioned, or rather Ibn Al-Qaim, he quoted, a narration that is attributed to the Messenger of Allah والسلام, that the sign of Iman being cast in the slave's heart is number one making inabah to the Darul Khulud returning to the home of, it, of eternity i.e. returning back to Allah with repentance making dhikr of him getting close to him and to shun away from the deceptive dunya and to prepare for death before death arrives and concerning this matter Sheikh Muhammad Iman al-Jami he says as far as preparing for death is concerned then we do so by making repentance in abundance and likewise going over our deeds that we have gathered so far the actions that we've performed up until this point that we're alive, i.e. making muhasaba of the nafs, taking the soul to account. And we made a mention of some examples from the Salaf, from the companions and their successors, as to how they would make muhasaba of their nafs, how they would take their soul to account. And a person should never become self-satisfied with himself while he's in this life. He never performs a deed and thinks that he has performed it and he becomes satisfied with it. No. As Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he said in another place that the slave, the Muslim, the believer, he has husn al-dhan of everybody else. The believer, he has good thoughts about his brothers. His brothers, he makes excuses for them and he has good excuses for everybody else. He has husn of himself, but he has su'adhan concerning his own self. He holds negative opinion concerning his own self. Negative thoughts concerning himself. You never think of yourself as having made it. You never become self-satisfied with your deen and with your righteousness. But rather, whatever you do of righteousness, you belittle it. Whatever you do of righteousness, you worry. Has it been accepted by Allah? Whatever you do of righteousness, you worry. Was it sincerely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So this is the qa'idah, the principle that a person should observe concerning dhan, suspicion, evil thoughts. Everybody else, your brothers, you hold good thoughts about them. As for yourself, you hold negative opinion about yourself. You hold negative thoughts concerning yourself. Thereon after Shaykh Muhammad al-Jami, he went on to say, 
the importance, the, the importance about having the balance between khawf and raja, hope and fear. Hope in Allah and fear of Allah. لا بد أن يجمع العبد بين الخوف وبين الرجاء. لا يغلب عليه الخوف حتى يصل إلى درجة القنوت واليأس ولا يغلب عليه الرجاء حتى يركبه يركبه الغرور ولكنه يسير إلى الله بين الخوف والرجاء يلازم هذه الخطة وهذا الطريق وهذا الطريق بهذا يستعد للموت. This is how we prepare for death. We prepare, we prepare for death between the balance of fear of Allah and the punishment of Allah and hope in Allah and hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Otherwise, if you have an excessive amount, if you have fear that is excessive, if you have nothing but fear, then what's going to happen? You'll be struck with yas and qunut. You'll be struck with becoming despondent, losing hope in the mercy of Allah. That's a sin in and of itself. That is su'adhan of Allah. That is having negative thoughts and negative opinion about Allah. But likewise, neither do you go to the other extreme of having nothing but hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah jalla wa is going to forgive me regardless of what I do. That is going to cause you to become deluded. However, when it comes to khawf and when it comes to raja, when it comes to fear and hope, what's the measuring stick? What's the criteria by which we determine whether or not the fear that we have is extreme or not? The fear that we have of Allah is extreme or not? A person he has fear of Allah and then somebody says, brother, you're being extreme there. You're going beyond bounds there. Allah's all merciful, doesn't matter. How do you know whether or not your fear of Allah is lacking or extreme? How do you know? How do you know? What's the criteria by which you determine whether or not your fear of Allah is extreme or not? You see somebody weeping over sins that he's committed. He committed a sin and now he's just crying, he's weeping. Whenever you see him, he's like, Akhi, I did this. I'm so scared as to what is going to happen to me. Is that, is that extreme? Is that extreme? Yeah. The criteria are the companions with Allah Ta'ala alayhim. If you want to know whether your fear of Allah and your hope in Allah is imbalanced or not, forget what everybody else says. Forget how society are. Forget how society may perceive you to be. Forget everything and everyone else. Look at the companions of Al-Mustafa alayhi salatu wasalam. And then by way of that, you'll be able to determine whether this fear, whether this hope, whether this love of Allah, whether it's imbalanced or not. So for example, at the time of death of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, what does he say? He starts to he says to his son uh, Ibn Umar, I place my face on the ground. After he places his face on the ground, Umar anhu starts to turn his cheek left and right on the ground. And he says, What? Wailun li wali ummi in lam yarhamni rabbi. 
Woe be to me and to my mother if my Lord does not have mercy upon me. So this, if you want to know what is the level that you should be at, what is extreme or not, you look at the companions Ridwanallahim. And this is who? This is Umar. Promised Al-Jannah. Promised Al-Jannah. It's already been done. He's been promised it. And he says, Then we gave the example last week of Abdul uh, Amr ibn al-As Because Abu Hurairah Hafiz of this Ummah. Yet what does he, at the time of death, he starts to cry. He, start, he starts to cry. And then when he's crying, when they ask him, why are you crying? He said, I'm not crying because of the dunya. I'm not crying because I'm leaving this world. I'm crying because I don't know where I'm going to go. Paradise or hellfire. So the point is, is that we look at the companions in order to determine whether or not our fear of Allah, our hope in Allah, our love of Allah is balanced or imbalanced. We don't lose hope of the mercy of Allah. Rather at the time of death, a person should have hope. A person should have hope. Rather his hope should be more in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the fear should be there as well. How and what degree should the level of fear of your, that, that you have in your heart be? Look at the companions of Allah ta'ala alayhim and you'll find your answer. You'll find your answer there. There and after, Ibn al-Qayyim he says, فَيُصِيبُ الْعَبْدِ مِنْ إِنْشِرَاحِ صَدْرِهِ بِحَسْبِ نَصِيبِهِ مِنْ هَذَا النُّورُ So dependent upon the amount of nur that you have in your heart, nur of iman, not the nur of the Sufiya. The Sufiya, they will claim that you have various different anwar, various different lights. They'll say you have this light, a yellow light, uh, a red light, they'll have a black light, they have different colored lights, they say. And dependent upon what level you've got to in your kashf, then that, dependent upon that, a certain nur is revealed to you. You enter into a, into a certain state of nur up until they claim that Allah gives you control over certain aspects of, of the universe, over certain aspects of the Universe, that's shirk in bububiyyah. So that isn't nur, that's dhulmah. That's darkness. That's not the nur that we're referring to. We're referring to the nur that is based upon imam. Nur that is based upon sunnah. Nur that is based upon guidance. That nur of iman, dependent upon how strong that nur is in your heart, then in proportion to that, your chest will proportionately expand. And then Ibn al-Qayyim, he, he wants to give an example. An example that we can relate to. So nur, nur of iman, if it's in your heart, you become at peace, you have bliss, you have joy, you have relaxation. Just like the physical nur, Ibn al-Qayyim, he says. Physical light. If it's the case, Sheikh Muhammad Aman al-Jami, he said. If it's, in the, if it's the case that you're in a lit up place like this and he's referring to the place where he was giving this lecture which was does anybody know where this lecture was delivered yeah. which masjid masjid al-nabawi sheikh muhammad al-jami he was a teacher in al-jami al-islamiyya in medina 
He delivered this lecture here in Al Masjid Al Nabawi. So he says that if you're in a place like this, a little place like this, where there's light, there's lighting, you want to read a book, for example, you want to benefit from a book, the light is on, you can see what you're reading, you feel relaxed because you can see what you're, re you, you're reading, you can see what you're doing, you can see what's around you. So in a similar fashion, when there's physical light, you feel at ease, you feel relaxed, you can see what's happening, you can see what you're doing. In a similar fashion, when you have nur of iman in your heart, you're relaxed. In internally, you're relaxed. Internally, you're at peace. Internally, you're at bliss. And then the opposite is true. That if it's the case that you're in a room and it's dark, it's dark, there's no light, it's gloomy, you can't see what you're do doing, you can't see who's there, you start to feel unrelaxed. You start to feel uneasy. So in a similar fashion, when the nur of iman starts to dwindle away in your heart, when nur of iman starts to weaken in your heart, when nur of iman becomes lacking, then likewise, you start to feel uneasy inside of you. You start to feel uh, repressed and suffocating inside of you. Even if it's the case that where you are, it's physically all lit up. And even if it's the case that you have everything that you need, as far as materialistic matters are concerned, but if the nur of iman is lacking in your heart, then you're going to feel tight and repressed. Later on after Ibn al-Qayyim ta'ala, he makes a mention. So now Ibn al-Qayyim, he's made a mention of the asl of the inshirah of sadr, the foundation, the principal cause of alleviating the chest, which is tawheed. Tawheed, if you don't have it, you're living a dark, miserable, horrible, scary life. And then, when that tawheed of yours, when that iman of yours, it intensifies, it becomes strong, Allah places nur in your heart, the stronger that that tawheed becomes, the stronger that that iman becomes, the greater that that nur is in your heart, and the greater will that inshirah of your sadr be. Now, Imam Ibn al-Qaim, he makes a mention of another cause, another means, another avenue of bringing about inshirah of your sadr. And he says, وَمِنْهَا الْعِلْمِ فَإِنَّهُ يَشْرَحْ الصَّدَرْ وَيُوَسِّعُهُ حَتَّى يَكُونَ أَوْسَعْ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا Among them, among the means and the causes and the avenues of bringing about relaxation to your chest is knowledge. For indeed, it alleviates the chest and it expands it up until the chest becomes more expanded than the dunya, than the whole world. Your chest becomes wider than the whole world, more expansive and broader than the whole, wo whole world. So Sheikh Muhammad Amman al-Jami, he makes some points concerning this. Firstly, Ibn al-Qaim, he says, al-ilm. He didn't say ilm. He said al-ilm, from the avenues of alleviating your chest, is al-ilm, the knowledge. When you say the, we're referring to something that is known and common and yani known between us. We know what's being referred to. So which knowledge is he referring to? Is he uh, referring to psychology? Is he referring to, I don't know, medicine? Homeopathic medicine, for example, and that expands your chest. 
What are you referring to? Al-ilm. The knowledge. Which knowledge? Knowledge of the deen. The knowledge that Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu left behind. That knowledge, even though people may mock it, even though people may say, you hear people saying, you know, I have three children. A person may say, I've got three children. Two of them are clever. The third one, he's a bit, uh, يعني, he's not really that intelligent. So the first one, I'm going to make him a doctor. Second one, I'm going to make him an, an engineer or a pilot. The third one, he's a bit unintelligent. All right, he'll become a Molvi, for example. Uh, that's what they say. He'll become a, a Molvi. He'll become, we'll send him to Madrasa, be, become a Molvi. No. Reality of the matter is that knowledge of the deen, that is what is the knowledge that expands your chest and brings about freedom and liberty to the soul. So he says, Al-ilm. Wa minha Al-ilm. The knowledge, i.e. the knowledge that was left behind by the Messenger of Allah, alayhi salatu was salam. Why? لأنه على بصيرة في دينه على بصيرة في سيره إلى الله Because once you have this knowledge then you have بصيرة you've got insight you know what you're doing concerning your deen you know you have بصيرة about your deen what's deen? it's not just religion it's your whole way of life why you are here what you are doing here what's going to happen to you after you leave here you have basira about life itself. You have basira insight about this journey and this procession towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لا يتخبط في سيره إلى الله وفي عبادته وطاعته وفي معاملته لإخوانه المسلمين وغير المسلمين. The one that has this al-ilm, he has the knowledge, i.e. knowledge of the deen. He has basira about his deen, insight about his deen. Insight about how to, about this journey towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He doesn't stumble on this journey to Allah. He doesn't stumble in his worship. He doesn't stumble in obeying Allah. He doesn't stumble in his dealings with others. His dealings with Muslims. His dealings with the non-Muslims. No, he knows how to live life. So as far as his relationship between him and his creator is concerned, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to act, what is required of him, as far as him and his great and mighty master, the most powerful one is concerned. He knows what his Lord has demanded from him. He knows what his Lord wants from him. He knows what to do to make his Lord pleased with him. He knows what his, his Lord loves. He knows what his Lord hates. He knows who his Lord is. He knows the actions of his Lord. He knows the names of his Lord. He knows the attributes and the characteristics of his Lord. He knows what's going to bring about my Lord's anger. What's going to bring about my Lord's love and mercy. So he knows his Lord and he knows what to do. It's upon him. It's upon him as to, it's, it's up to him as to whether or not he's going to implement what he knows or not implement it. But he has basira. He has insight. He has knowledge about him and his Lord and the relationship that is to exist between them two. Not just that. This knowledge of the deen, it furnishes him with knowledge concerning his relationship with his Lord. Likewise, it provides him with knowledge as far as his relationship with everybody else is concerned. Relationship with his fellow Muslims. How he should behave with them. How he should interact with them. Likewise, his relationship with the non-Muslims. So the believers 
of his Lord, the one that he loves the most, and the disbelievers of his Lord, the one that he loves the most. His disbelievers, those that disbelieve in him, he knows how to deal with them, and the relationship that he should have with them. Therefore, the one that has al-ilm, the knowledge that was left behind by the Messenger of Allah, alayhi salatu, wasalam, he has a chest that is expanded, alleviated, wide, not tight and repressed and suffocating. Why is that the case? That his chest is tight and suffocating. Why is it the chest that the one that has knowledge of his deen, his chest is wide and expansive? Because he knows about life and how to live life and how his behavior towards his creator should be and how his behavior towards the rest of his fellow created human beings should be. Then Ibn Qayyim he says, وَالْجَهَلْ يُوَرِّثُهُ الضِّيقُ وَالْحَصَرُ وَالْحَبْسُ Just like knowledge brings about alleviation to the chest, ignorance, it brings about tight narrowness and tightness and confinement. Shaykh Muhammad Amman al-Jami he says, الجاهل لا يعرف ما يجب لله لا يعرف حق الله لا يعرف حق رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يعرف حق عباد الله عباد الله قد يعطي ويصرف لعباد الله محب حق الله تعالى لجهله the one that is ignorant the one that is a جاهل ignorant of what ignorant of physics ignorant of chemistry ignorant of English grammar no the one that's ignorant of the deen that's the jahil person. That's the ignorant person. The one that might not know some of the dunyawi sciences, the dunyawi disciplines. He is not the one that is the ultimate, the ultimate jahil. La, the ultimate jahil is the one that is jahil of the necessary, essential aspects of his deen. This type of person, Sheikh Muhammad al-Jami, he says, this person doesn't know what Allah, what, what is the, yani, the, 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 the right of Allah, the right of Allah that is a must to be fulfilled. He doesn't know the right of Allah. He doesn't know the right of the Messenger of Allah He doesn't know the rights of the, fellow, the other human beings. Perhaps as a result of his lack of knowledge and his ignorance, he may end up delivering a right that belongs solely and exclusively to Allah, to one of the created human beings. The one that is ignorant about the essential aspects of his religion. Those matters that are daruri, essential, no Muslim should be ignorant of them. This type of person, he is in a state of repression and tightness and confinement. This type of person doesn't know what's going to rectify himself. Because nothing can rectify a person more than having knowledge and awareness of his Lord. The one that is jahil, what does he do? He follows anyone and everybody. The one that calls out, calls out and says something about the deen, attributes something to the deen, the jahil, he will just follow him. If, the, if it is said to the jahil person, Allah is in your chest, he'll say, yes, yes, Allah is in my chest. He becomes a imma'ah. He becomes a imma'ah. A yes man. Eh? The person says, Allah is in the chest. Ah, yes, Allah is in the chest. Yeah, I follow you. The person says to him, Allah, he's everywhere, every single place. 
The imma'ah, the yes man, he'll say yes, yeah, Allah is in every place, everywhere. He's not bothered. He's not bothered about his belief in Allah. He's not bothered about seeking knowledge. So he just follows what anybody says, what the imam in the masjid is saying. What the Mulvi says, what the peer says, what his father may say, what his uncle may say, may say what his mother, his auntie may say. He doesn't care about Dalil. He doesn't care about what is it that my Lord has commanded me to believe in. Rather, he's a blind follower. He just follows anything and everything. If it is said to him that these skies and these celestial bodies, they are Allah, he say, yes, yes, they are Allah. They are Allah. This type of person has no knowledge. He doesn't learn. He hasn't got knowledge of his Lord as he truly deserves to have knowledge. He doesn't know his messenger, Haqq al-Ma'rifah, as he truly deserves to be known. He does not know what the messenger of Allah والسلام, came with, the deen of Islam. Therefore, as a result of that, this person, he is in deeq, he is in repression and confinement and narrowness. He's living a tight, suffocating life. Therefore, Sheikh Muhammad al-Jami, he says, we advise our brothers, our Muslim brothers, that they learn the ilm al-dururi, the essential knowledge. Knowledge, not all of it is essential. It's not required for everybody to learn Arabic grammar, to learn usul al-fiqh, to learn mustalah al-hadith, hadith terminology, principles of Islamic sharia, and so on and so forth, usul al-tafsir, principles of tafsir. That isn't mandatory, but there is an aspect of knowledge of your deen that is mandatory, that is obligatory, that you have no excuse for. Sheikh Muhammad al Jami he says that it's of two types. Knowledge is of two types. Ilm Dururi, the knowledge that is essential. The one that no Muslim is excused concerning for that reason. When Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah ta'ala, when he began, i.e. when he began authorship, he authored a book, a small summarized book, or rather a small summarized treatise, and then he made people memorize it. Why? Because this small book, which is Al-Usul Al-Thalatha, the three fundamental principles, this small book, what does it contain? It doesn't contain uh, 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 those supererogatory, uh, non-mandatory matters that a person needs to know. No, they contain those mandatory matters. Who is your Lord? You need to know that. Have knowledge of your Lord, such knowledge that causes you to love Him. Hope in him, fear in him, and single him out in worship. Who is your messenger? You need to know that. Have knowledge of Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Such knowledge of him that causes you to. That causes you to believe in him. Believe in what he says. That causes you to follow him. That causes you to do what he says. And keep away from what he prohibits. Have knowledge of your deen of Islam. That knowledge that is mandatory upon you. Concerning your prayer. You need to know how to pray. Because obligatory upon you is to pray five times a day. If it's the case that zakah is obligatory upon you, you need to know the rulings of a zakah. You're going to make umrah or hajj. You need to know the rulings. You're going to get married. You need to know the rulings concerning your marriage. It's not, it's not allowed for you to be ignorant concerning these matters. So Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala, he authored this book. Why? Because it contains those essential matters of knowledge, who is your Lord, what is your deen, what is, who is your messenger. And, he, and he, made, he made it such that people can memorize it. 
children memorize it. Adults were memorizing it, children were memorizing it. In fact, Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, he also authored another version. So he's got Thalathat al-Usul that we're all familiar with. Yani the one that starts off with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, I'lam ar-Rahimak Allah. That there is the one that we're familiar with. Then there's another version which is in a Q&A format. That is for children. For children to memorize. But then he had another one. Another one for awam. For the general folk. For the general folk. Why? Because the matan thalathat al-usul is written in al-arabiyah al-fusha. In uh, 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 classical Arabic. But then you have those who aren't familiar with classical Arabic. Those Arabs that were living there that weren't familiar with classical Arabic. They spoke their own dialect. The Ammiya, their dialect. So in there it'll say, إِذَا قِيلَ لَكْ وِشْرَبَّكْ If it is said to you, وِشْرَبَّكْ You know, it's like saying in English, how would you say it? If it is said to you, you know, uh, so, you know, فَإِذَا قِيلَ لَكْ مَنْ فَإِذَا قِيلَ لَكْ مَنْ if it is said to you, Man Rabbuk, who is your Lord? Because that's a classical Arabic. But then he says, there's another mutton for the awam, for the general folk that aren't well versed in fusha. So he says in there, If it is said to you, Wishrabbak. How would you translate that? Huh? Yeah, what's your Lord? Go on, tell me. Tell me, what's your Lord? Yeah, it's like a slang. Yeah, Like you have English, and then you got Yorkshire. Right? You got English. And you got your Lancastrian. You got in, in a similar fashion, you got your Arabic, the one that we learn, the Fusha, the, the classical Arabic. And then you have the Ammiya, perhaps some of the Arab brothers, they might be able to yeah, introduce you to some of the Ammiya later on. So, Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, because of how important al ilm is, because of how important the knowledge is, i.e., knowledge of your deen, your aqidah, the essential parts of your deen. He authored this book, a small book for adults, for children, and then even for the awam, for the general uneducated people, the farmers, the shepherds, and what have you. And he made them memorize it. Why? Because that is the, that is the thing that will expand your chest. That is the thing that will bring about alleviation and relaxation to the chest. So therefore, Sheikh Muhammad Imam al-Jami, he says, upon the tulab al-ilm, Upon the Sikh, the students of Islamic knowledge, and those that want to bring about, yani the people that bring about rectification, upon them is to start teaching these matters. Upon them is to cultivate the people upon these basic, small, essential, introductory matters. Why? Because these matters are the ones that are yani from ilm al-dururi, essential aspects of knowledge. Learning your deen, learning about your prophet, Conditions of prayer, the wajibat of prayer, the pillars of prayer, the meaning of la ilaha illallah, the nawaqid of Islam. So these type of matters, these are the essential matters. And then Shaykh Muhammad Amman al-Jami, he says, whoever is ignorant about these matters, then his Islam is upon danger. If you're ignorant about these matters, these essential matters, then your Islam, it's at a risk. Your Islam is taqlidi. It's a blind following Islam. Your iman is taqlidi. It's a blind following iman. An Islam, an iman that may not be profitable for you, may not be beneficial for you. Tayyib. And then he goes, and then 
Al-Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala He says Naam, well then Shaykh Muhammad Amman al-Jami He says concerning this point That it's from foolishness It's from foolishness not to Raise towards and hasten towards And be keen and ardent towards seeking knowledge Especially In this time that we live in Why? Because unlike in those days Maybe just even a century ago We're not talking, you know, a millennium ago Just even a century ago And even in certain countries Maybe, you know, a few decades ago perhaps Knowledge wasn't as easily Accessible As it is today Knowledge in those times You have to Leave your house And then go to the masjid in the heat and There was no AC There was no air conditioning There was no fan and what have you certain locations no light no electricity candle lantern difficult but now easy now you have knowledge available Sheikh Muhammad Iman al-Jami he's saying this when in the 90s via the radio huh? now we have not just radio forget radio some of us probably never even touched the radio now you have SoundCloud huh? you have what else you have internet, you have YouTube, you have this, that, you have everything, you have uh, MixLR, you have uh, websites, you have everything. You have all of these different means and avenues by which you can access knowledge. You can go through curriculums that are taught in Islamic universities abroad. You have the tasjilat, the recordings of those books, of the curricula that is taught in Islamic universities, available to listen to online. From ulama al-Rabbaniyin, Sheikh Abdul Aziz ibn Ubaz, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymin, Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan, Abdul Aziz al-Sheikh. You have the recordings available that you can benefit from. So knowledge is easily accessible today. Sheikh Muhammad al-Man al-Jami is saying, nobody has any excuse really nowadays. Why? Because both men and women, they have no excuse because knowledge has entered upon us. He says even those that live in the non-Muslim lands like us, Knowledge has entered into our houses, we, so we should capitalize upon that opportunity. We shouldn't squander and waste that opportunity. That's a ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That knowledge is so easily accessible to us. I remember in, uh, in Medina, some brothers from Central Asia, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, those countries, some of the brothers, they used to mention to me that for us to go and study together, have a halaqa of ilm, have a sitting of knowledge like this, they would have to go far where nobody can see them. Go study somewhere where no one's watching them. Why? Because the authorities used to clamp down if there was a circle of knowledge going on. They had to go hide to study a book like Kitab At-Tawheed. Kitab al-Tawheed, no, no book of Irhabiyyah or terrorism or, or nothing that is affiliated with the terrorists and Al-Qaeda, just a book of Islamic creed. But because in those countries there, the authorities clamp down upon you, if it is the case that you are studying a general book of Islamic creed, they had to go and hide to study. They had to go hide and learn their deen. Do any of us have to hide to come here to this masjid? None of us have to hide. None of us have to run. None of us have to escape in order to, in order to study. Therefore, we should take heed and we should take 
uh, heed of, of this blessing that we have. Because if it is the case that a person isn't thankful for a blessing, then that blessing could be stripped away. But if a person wants to continue enjoying a blessing, then he has to continue with, with shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Ibn al-Qayyim he says, فَكُلَّمَا اتَّسَعَ عِلْمُ الْعَبْدِ إِنْ شَرَحَ صَدْرُهُ وَاتَّسَعَ So whenever the knowledge of the slave it expands, it broadens, then likewise the chest of the slave it proportionately expands and it broadens. Meaning, the more knowledge that you gain, the more knowledge that you acquire, the more relaxed, the more expansive your chest will become. So you learn the essential matters of your deen. Then if you want to, if you want to go beyond that, if you want to add to that, if you want to increase upon that, in the matters of aqidah, in the matters of sharia, ahkam, amalat, matters of fiqh, if you do so, then your chest will be expanded even more so. And then, Sheikh Muhammad Amman al-Jami, he says, this doesn't mean that studying the other matters, the other fields of study, the dunyawi fields of study, are prohibited. We're not saying that they are prohibited. We're not saying that, for example, to study medicine, engineering, uh, anything else, uh, mechanical, mechanics, computers, whatever. We're not saying that studying those things is prohibited and wrong. Rather, those things may even be beneficial for a person. However, the thing that contains the most amount of benefit, the knowledge that is absolutely beneficial, in the absolute sense of the word, is the knowledge of your deen, that knowledge that you are never free of having any need of. Then Ibn al-Qayyim, he says, فَأَهْلُهُ أَشْرَحُ النَّاسِ صَدْرًا وَأَوْسَعُهُمْ قُلُوبًا وَأَحْسَنُهُمْ أَخْلَاقًا وَأَطْيَبُهُمْ عَيْشًا He then went on to say that the people of this knowledge, the knowledge of the deen, they are the ones that have the most expansive of hearts, they have the widest of, uh, they have the expansive of chests, the widest of hearts, the best in character, and they live the most pleasant of lives. <clears throat> How long has it been so far? 35? Allah Sikhwan will conclude at that point, and then inshallah ta'ala, next week we'll continue where Ibn al-Qaim talks about al-Iqbal ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, getting closer to Allah, or rather inaba, inaba to Allah, turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So unless there's anything that needs to be clarified, we'll stop here, and then we'll begin next week. Uh. Sorry? Uh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the brother is asking if it's the uh, we mentioned about Surah Dhan and Husna Dhan, and that for the believer, the Asr, the base rule, is that you have Husna Dhan of him.
However, is it the case that there is absolute and you have husna dhan of a person, if he's a Muslim, khalas, you have nothing but husna dhan of him, and there is no there aren't any exceptions to the rule? What's the answer to that? Is it absolute? The ulama they mentioned that if there are qara'in, if there are factors that indicate otherwise, then in such a situation, su'adhan, having negative thoughts, negative opinion is justified. Okay, so the base rule is husnadhan. The base rule is not to harbor negative and evil thoughts concerning your Muslim brothers. But if there are factors indicating otherwise, then in that situation, the person is justified for him to have su'adhan. Of, of the other person. For example, if it's the case that a person is known to lie anyhow, he's known to be a deceptive person, then he says something. You don't trust what he says. You have a suh of what he says. Why? Because he's known to be a liar. He's known to be deceitful. Okay? Allah Ta'ala A'lam wa sallallahu ala Muhammad walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.